You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, this morning we're looking at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 and are really excited to, get to dive into this verse uh, with y'all. Uh, what I'd like to do <clears throat> is uh, read just from verse 8 uh, down through verse 13 just so it's in our minds. Uh, but here's what Paul wrote, Ephesians chapter 3 starting in verse 8. He says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Uh, recently, when looking at uh, verses 8 and 9, <clears throat> and looking at this phenomenal concept that Paul says, I have the privilege, even though I'm the very least of all the saints, to preach this incredible gospel which is focused on the unfathomable riches of Christ and this mystery or this plan, this mysterious plan that's been hidden for ages and generations. And and as we were looking at both of those ideas, the unfathomable or unsearchable riches, as well as this idea of the administration or the plan of this mystery, what is absolutely amazing, just stunning to me, is that the riches and the plan, the mystery, is Jesus himself. And you realize that the plan for your life that God has for you is Jesus. That God has a will for your life. It's his life. (laughs) And your will in your life is to be wrapped up in his life. So maybe asking, God, what's your will for my life? Maybe it'd be better to say, Lord, your life is to be my will. And Lord, it's just, it's about you. This, This has always been about you. In fact, every page of the Old Testament is just a thunderclap declaring the realities and the mystery of Jesus Christ. And everything is pointing to that plan, which is in you. Now, again, as you're walking through verse 8 and 9, the whole focus is the life of Jesus. And that he is to be the center of all things, the preeminent one in your life. But look at verse 10, which is where we're focusing this morning. Uh, Paul gives you the whole reasoning why that is to be true. Why is Jesus supposed to be the essence of your life? Why is it that he is supposed to be the very center of your very being? Paul says in verse 10, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authority, authorities in the heavenly places. Uh, it's interesting that Paul uses that term heavenly realms or heavenly places uh, several times throughout the book of Ephesians. And in, in some ways, you can actually build a skeletal, skeletal, that's not even a word, a skeletal structure of the book of Ephesians through that idea of the heavenly realms. 
Uh, the first time that word shows up is actually in Ephesians 1.3 uh, when he's talking about the blessings that we have uh, in Christ. That every single thing that God has for you is found in the person of Jesus and they are in the heavenly realms. Uh, later on in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse, uh, let's see, where is it at? Just lost it. Oh, there it is. Verse 20. Uh, he says that, hey, there's this power of God being demonstrated. And he literally raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So where is Jesus sitting this very moment? Well, he is in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. And he's in the heavenly realms. Then it's interesting in chapter 2, Paul talks about your life as a demonstration of the power of God. And again, this is all review. But he says, hey, you were dead, but what happened to you? You were raised to life spiritually. And now you, verse 6 of chapter 2, are seated in Jesus in the heavenly realms. So he is there physically, and I am there spiritually. And yet I am down here physically, and he's inside of me spiritually. And I am in Christ, and he is in me. And again, there's this whole emphasis on the heavenly realms or heavenly places. Uh, again, that word shows up in our passage, Ephesians 3.10. And then it shows up again in chapter 6, talking about the armor of God and the fact that, hey, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against, this is a chapter 6, verse 12, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. So as you begin to trace this through, you start getting this tone <clears throat> or this idea uh, that there's a lot happening in the heavenly realms. This is where the spiritual battles take place. Uh, this is where all the blessings are contained because that's where he is at. Uh, this is where Jesus is sitting. This is where I am spiritually because I am in him in the heavenly realms. So as you look at all that, it's interesting that Paul takes this idea that, hey, your life is to be focused on his life. That his life is to, very, to be the essence and the heartbeat of who you are. Why? Ephesians 3.10. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That somehow the way that I am living here is to be a testimony and a declaration to the heavenly realms. And that I and and me as a part of the body of Christ and the church, we are to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, the word there, manifold, it, it's kind of this idea, I, uh, probably the best way to think of it is like an accordion uh, or drapery, right? You go up to your window drapes and your curtains and you gather them all and phew, you put them in one little, one little bunch and you notice that they all fold together. It's, it has many folds. Or you have this accordion, right? And you, have, you open up the accordion. And as you squeeze it back together, you notice that it has all these little folds in it. In other words, this thing is varied. This thing is wondrous. This thing is multi-layered. That's kind of the idea. And so Paul is saying that there's this many folds. There are these variety. There's this wonder. There, there's this Wow, reality. There's this layering going on of the wisdom of God. And you, as a part of the body of Christ, is to make that known to the heavenly realms. 
Uh, it's interesting that word wisdom, it's the Greek word Sophia. Uh, and again, it does have this idea of wisdom. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, if you go to the book of Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs is all about the wisdom. And what is amazing about the book of Proverbs is that it's all focused on Jesus, that he is that treasure that we're to seek after. He is the fullness of wisdom itself. But a, a good, maybe a good way to understand this idea of wisdom is to define it as the deep things of God. Uh, this kind of came out of my study in Ephesians chapter 1, but it's interesting that when Paul is saying that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, you realize that he's talking about that there'll be this unveiling or this pulling back of the curtain of the deep things of God in your life. And that same idea is here that there is this depth, there's this profundity, there's these many folds of the depth, the richness, the wisdom of God himself. And somehow, we as the body of Christ are able to somehow, maybe we can't fully understand it, but we are to experience it. In fact, you, you see that in that terminology made known through the church. Um, we've walked through this many times, but there's several words for the word know or knowledge in Greek. And this word made known, to make known, the root of that is the word gnosko. And again, it's interesting that the word gnosko isn't just facts and data and information. It's not just even perception and, and gaining some insight. But this idea of making known something comes to this idea of I know it because I've experienced it in relationship or experience. <clears throat> uh, and I, I keep giving cheesy illustrations for this. Uh, I, I've used the illustration of uh, like a speed sign, right? Like a, a road sign with a speed limit. So you're driving down the road and you see a speed limit sign and you go, oh, I know the speed limit. Well, what's the speed limit? Well, I, I saw a sign. I have facts. I have the data. I have the information. It's 35 miles an hour. And you can know the speed limit in a factual sense, but that's very different then when you get pulled over, <laughs> hypothetically, you get pulled over and the police officer hands you a ticket and he says, hey, you know, you're now going to have to pay $100. Why? Because I want you to experience what the speed limit is. That way, the next time you're driving down that road and you're thinking, hey, maybe I should go more than 35 miles an hour, you'll go, no, I can't do that. Why? Because I've experienced the speed limit on this road. That's this kind of idea. Uh, I use another cheesy illustration all the time, uh, that of kissing, right? If, if you want to know about the topic of kissing, uh, there's a variety of ways that you can learn that. And as a, you know, as, a, as an American male, how am I going to learn kissing? Well, I'm going to get on Wikipedia, of course. I mean, hello. And I'm going to get on Wikipedia, and I'm going I'm to look at all the facts and the data and the charts and the graphs and the history, and, and I can learn a lot about kissing. Of course, you would come up to me and say, Nathan, <laughs> there are better ways. <laughs> and I'm not suggesting those. But, but you realize that you can, you can get on a Wikipedia, you can get on a Google, and you can look up kissing and learn all the facts and learn the history and look at the diagrams and see the charts. And you can learn a lot about kissing, but that's very different than experiencing kissing. And again, this idea of knowing, make known, that root word gnosko is just amazing in the light of this passage. Because you, you hear this thunder, you hear this emphasis of what Paul is, is, is suggesting, which is that 
this depth, this manifold reality of the wisdom of God, that these deep things of God, his, his great wisdom, you realize we're not just to somehow intellectually know it. We are to somehow experience that as the body of Christ. I, I love the book of James that, hey, if any of you are lacking wisdom, just ask that, that God is willing to give wisdom, which is encouraging because I, <laughs> I need a lot of wisdom. But wouldn't it be amazing if I didn't just know the information? Wouldn't it be amazing if I didn't just didn't have, I just didn't have facts and data and knowledge and, and oh, he's wise. That somehow we in the church, when it comes to the wisdom of God, we weren't just intellectual. In fact, Paul's, and there's, by the way, there's nothing wrong about being intellectual. Paul says, hey, we're preaching a grand message, but yet it is foolishness to the world around us. Why? Because what they see, what they esteem as intelligence, the cross is not intelligent, folks. And, and do, do you realize that, that we, as the body of Christ, this ecclesia, this, this gathering of believers, this fellowship, this mighty troop, this army called the body of Christ, that we are not just to have information about the knowledge of God, we are, we are to literally live in and experience his wisdom, which means we have to be in relationship with him. And the only way I'm ever going to experience the reality of the wisdom of God in my life is to embrace the one who has that wisdom. That this isn't like a download software thing in your life where you come up to God and say, God, I really need some wisdom for this. And he goes, oh, well, here, do, 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 do. And he just downloads whatever you need in your mind. Yeah, he may give you a moment where you have insight and clarity, but wouldn't it be amazing that the manifold wisdom of God isn't just something that is downloaded, it is something that is to be experienced, that, that we are to live in and have the reality of this wisdom. Which, by the way, if you go back to, the, to what is this full wisdom, well, the fulfillment of the wisdom of God is Jesus again. This, this is Jesus, that he is the wisdom of Proverbs, that he is the thing that we are to seek after more than gold and silver and precious stones and that, that he is the richness of this whole thing, that, that he is the unfathomable riches of verse 8, that he is the mystery, verse 9. And wouldn't it be amazing if the reality of our lives as believers wasn't information about God, it was an experience with him. And when the onlooking world looked at your life, they were dumbfounded by the reality of Jesus. Why? Because somehow we were living on a whole nother level that was outside of the intellectualism. It is outside of just information. It was, oh, those people are living in the reality of the experience of God's life. I don't want you, but we need that in our, our culture today. With all the hypocrisy and, and all the duplicity and, and all the pushback on culture, See, we have all these people who are going to church and have information about God, but who don't seemingly actually have God. That I can have all the data and I can have all the facts and I can have all the information, but not have the real thing. Uh, it's just like on my phone, I can, I can pull up a picture uh, of my niece and say, hey, let me tell you all about Paisley. You know, she's 10 and she has beautiful black hair and the beautiful olive skin and and, and wow, she just, she's, she's just beautiful. And, and man, she really loves her computer games. And, and she likes to do this and she likes that. And she, you know, and, and I could go through it. Here's how tall she is. And, da, 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 and I can give all this information. I can show you the pictures. 
But see, that's very different than having a relationship with my niece and actually going to get, getting a hug and play and just, you know, laugh. And see, that's entirely different. And it's like we have an entire generation in the church today that has all this detail, that has all this information, that has all these facts about who God is, but they just, they don't have him. They know a lot about Jesus without actually having the life of Jesus. And no, no wonder the world is getting sick of Christians. No, no wonder that the world is looking at the church today going, well, they're, they're so full of hypocrisy and duplicity. Well, sure, that makes sense if we don't have the real thing. But could we as the body of Christ be known for the real thing? That you and I have experienced the, the richness of the depth of the life of Jesus Christ. That, that our lives are proclaiming something. Oh, we need that. So, so look at our passage Paul says that the manifold wisdom of God would actually be experienced, right, and made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. That somehow what is going on in the body of Christ is declaring to the spiritual realms this reality of the manifold wisdom of God. Now, I, I need you to think with me because this is sort of abstract, and I, I wish I had some better language to even describe this, but, but I want you to think this through because I think this is just profound. Here is a reality in the heavenly realms which is all focused on Jesus. He is this mysterious plan. He is the unfathomable riches. The whole plan, the whole focus, the whole thrust of the plan of God has always been Jesus. And so in the heavenly realms, if you look at the reality of the heavenly realms, it is all focused on Jesus. And Paul says when that reality up here also becomes a reality down here in the physical realm of the church. And the physical reality of the church down here in the earth, earthen realms is living out the reality of Jesus. Do you realize what it does down here? is it proclaims something not only to the physical, visible world, but it also proclaims to the heavenly realms this reality. <laughs> Did that make any sense? <laughs> Let me say it again. Uh, that there is a reality in the heavenly realms. That there is a truth in the heavenly realms. There is a manifold wisdom in the heavenly realms. And it's all focused on Jesus. But think about this. Here we are, physically we're in an earthen realm, right? Like we are physical. We, we live in a physical world. We are physical and visible. Pinch your neighbor. Ah! Right? They, they, they scream. We, we live in a physical realm. But we in the physical realm don't just live in a physical realm. We in the physical realm also live in a spiritual reality called the heavenly realms. And yes, we are physically in the, in, in the earthen realms, but spiritually we're in the heavenly realms. And so Paul is saying, what would happen if the reality of the spiritual realms was actually lived out and experienced down here in the earthen, physical, visible realms? And you realize that when the body of Christ down here in the earthen, physical, visible realms live out the reality of the life, the manifold wisdom of God, it begins to declare something to the entire world. See, it declares to everyone in the earth and realm that God is still sitting upon the throne here in the heavenly realms. 
That, that it declares to everyone around us that, wow, God is still in control. See, it declares there is still a God. And we in this world today definitely need to know that real, reality. And wouldn't it be amazing that when we down here in the earth and physical realms, as the body of Christ, as this community of believers, lived out the reality of Jesus, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it just be something if the whole world heard about that incredible reality because they saw Jesus in us? But Paul says it even goes beyond that, that when, when we down here in the earthen realm live the reality of the heavenly realms, it also declares to the heavenly realms that the heavenly realms is real. That the truth of this place, which is all focused on Jesus, is real. That the manifold wisdom of God is being declared up here in the heavenly realms to the rulers and the authorities. Now, <laughs> I can see some of you still don't get it. Um, let me give you a few illustrations. Uh, there was this little uh, shepherd boy, and uh, one day the shepherd boy was uh, bringing some bread and cheese uh, to his brothers on the battlefield. And for 40 days prior to this, uh, this giant would come out from the Philistine camp and would shout to the Israelites and say, Hey, instead of us fighting and all of us dying, let's just, let's just have one person against one person. So you take your greatest fighter and you take your greatest, you know, your, your greatest warrior, you bring him out and I will fight him. Now I know, I know I'm 9 to 12 feet tall. And yes, my name is Goliath, but I, hey, if they can take me down, you guys will win and we'll become your slaves. If you take us down, if that's even possible, then we'll become your slaves. And for 40 days, not a single person in Israel would want wanted to deal with Goliath. So, so here is this little shepherd boy who most scholars think was probably 12, 13, 14 years old, comes on the battlefield, here's Goliath's taunt, and goes, excuse me, who is going to silence the voice of this giant? And of course, everyone's trembling, and Saul hears about it and brings David in. And Saul's like, uh, I, <laughs> uh, uh, some of my men were, were hearing you talk about the fact that you wanted to go fight. Fight, the, fight Goliath? And David's like, yeah, yeah let me add him. Uh, do you realize that we'd be putting our entire nation in your hands? Yeah, yeah, I know. But if none of you are willing to stand up for, for God's reputation, I'm going to do it. And Saul goes, well, how, how do you think you could even pull this off? Like, like, what experience have you had? Because he's been trained since he's a little kid on how to, how to be a warrior. So David, what do you got? And David says, I have faith. That God has trained me with a lion. He's trained me with a bear. And this giant will be just, just like one of them. That here I was in my, in my dad's sheepfold. And when a bear came in, do you know what I did? I did. I ran after the bear and I killed it. Hey, when a lion came in, I, I broke its jaws. I took the little lamb from its mouth. And, and hey, if God can prove himself with a lion and with a bear, what's a giant? And so Saul, in my mind, miraculously <laughs> entrusts the fate of his kingdom to this little kid. And this 13, 14-year-old kid goes out to the battlefield, takes a slingshot, grabs a few rocks, and says, Goliath, today your head is coming down. 
hey, I'm cutting it off. And hey, we're done. And Goliath mocks. And David says that he hastened, he ran toward Goliath. He threw that, that, that rock, hits him in the head, falls down, cuts his head off. And it says in 1 Samuel that when all the people saw what happened and all that took place and all that God did through David, they cried out, the Lord is God. Oh, the Lord, he is God. Think about this. David in a physical realm, was staring at a physical giant. Do you realize that David was not living down here in a physical, visible realm? He was living here in a spiritual reality. That he had faith, that he was leaning upon the strong arm of his God, that he had full trust in God's provision. And he says, you know what? I, I'm living here in my mind, but I'm going to bring that into this reality down here. And I'm going to live down here as if, up here is real, that God is real, that I can trust him. And so I'm going to prove that out in the physical realm. And what did he do? He lived a spiritual reality in the physical realm. And it declared, think about this, not only to the physical world around him that God is still in control, that God can be trusted, but it declared to the spiritual realm that God is real and that God can be trusted. And there's countless stories of this. Think about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Here's Elijah. He goes up against all the prophets of Baal. And and you know, he's the lone prophet in Israel of the day. And we understand there's the remnant. But it's like here's one man going against hundreds of of these false prophets. And he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. And it says that when he, you know, they they doused the, the sacrifice with the water and filled up the trench. And Elijah prayed and says, God, hey, would you reveal yourself by fire? And the fire came down and took the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dirt. (laughs) That's a lot of fire. And that when the people saw it, they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah wasn't just living in a physical realm. You don't just call fire down from heaven. But he did. Why? Because he had a spiritual perspective a spiritual reality, and he was making known both to the physical and the spiritual that God is real, that, hey, there, there's one, hey, that he can be trusted, that, that I have faith in my God. You have Elisha. He's surrounded by an entire Syrian army in 2 Kings 6. He's surrounded by this entire army, and his servant runs in, Master, Master, what are we going to do? And Elisha goes, no big deal, because those who are with us are more than with them. <laughs> And if I was his servant, I'd been like, uh, Elisha, no, no offense, but uh, I can count. I mean, he's got 10 fingers, and there's two of us, and there's a lot more than that out there. And it says that Elisha prayed, and he says, Lord, would, would you open the eyes of my servant? And the servant's eyes were open, and he looked, and behold, there's these fire, uh, chariots and horses of fire all around. What was Elisha doing? He He's surrounded by an entire Syrian army. It's impossible in the physical realm. But Elisha was not living merely in the physical, visible world. Yes, he's there. Yes, he's living there. But his mind, his, his life in reality was in a spiritual realm. And he was living as if the spiritual realm is really real. That God can be trusted. That God is real. That I can put my faith and my hope in him. And so what does Elisha do? He, he lives this spiritual reality here, and he lives it down here. And when that happens, it declares to the earthen realms and declares to the spiritual realms 
that God is real and that he can be trusted, that there is hope. I love the story of George Mueller. And by the way, you, you see this all through Scripture. You know, you, you got the Gideon story. I mean, you just, you just one after another after another. Moses at the Red Sea, Abraham uh, with the promised son, Isaac. Over and over, David, countless scenes in David's life. Just over and over, you have this, hey, am I going to live by merely what I see in the physical, or am I going to live by the reality of, of heaven? But George Mueller, I love the story of George Mueller. Uh, here is this uh, man who comes to Bristol and and uh, he had this burden on his heart, and he started looking around Bristol, and he notices there are all these orphans. And so he started to invite the orphans in and started to feed them and clothe them and uh, give them education. And, and, and at one point, there were, there were thousands of orphans under his care. And, and Mueller says, one of the principles of my life is I, I want to show the world, I want to declare with my life to the world that God can still be trusted, that God still provides that he is still Jehovah Jireh. So Mueller said, I'm, I'm not going to ask for money. I'm not going to ask for resources. I'm, I'm not going to put my needs out in front of anybody. I'm going to take my needs alone to God. And so he would come to God and say, God, we, we have nothing in the cu- cu- cupboards for, for food for these, for these orphans. Lord, you need to provide. And time and time and story after story, these incredible illustrations of God's faithfulness show up. That they had absolutely nothing in the physical realm. But Mueller says, I'm not going to live merely looking at the externals around me. I'm going to live with the spiritual insight of heaven. And I'm going to put my faith and my trust in him. And I'm going to let Jesus be the very center of my life. And I'm going to take that reality and live it down here in the earthen realm. And you realize that it declared to the whole world down here, that God is still alive, that he still provides, that, that he is faithful, that he can be trusted, that there is hope. Uh, you look at the stories of like Amy Carmichael or Hudson Taylor or C.T. Studd or, uh, you know, you got the Hudson Taylors and you've got the, I mean, just go on and on and on with these stories through Christian history where here are these men and women who, yes, had these impossible situations in the earth and physical realm, and yet they lived in a heavenly perspective Knowing who their God is. See, what would that look like in your life if you lived that way? See, what if you would look at your finances, not through the lens of the, of the physical and the visible. See, what if, you would, what if you would see your finances through his perspective? And yeah, there may, not, there may be nothing in the bank account, but oh, I can trust him. And oh, he's going to provide. And he hasn't brought me this far to just drop me in. And wow, I'm, I'm going to lean on him. And I'm going, to, I'm going to demonstrate to the entire world that he is still faithful, that he is still trustworthy. And I'm going to demonstrate with my life the manifold wisdom of God. That his plan, his riches is himself. See, see, what if it would look like in, in, in the troubled seasons of your life? What would it look like when you're sick? See, what would it look like if you were, had issues? See, what if it looked like if you had family problems? See, what if it looked like if the finances? See, what if the impossible situations down here were no longer impossible because you saw them from his perspective? And you realize that he is a God who delights in impossibilities. See, what if you begin to realize that, wow, God is still able. Wow, he is still faithful. Wow, he is still trustworthy. He is my hope. He is my peace. And I'm going to live as if this is true down here. Paul says that when you live this heavenly realm reality that Jesus 
is the fullness, that Jesus is everything, that he is the mysterious plan, that he is the unfathomable riches. When you live this reality down here as if it is in fact true, because it is. And when you take this realm up here and you bring it down here into this realm and this reality and you live as if it is true, do you realize that what it does is it declares to everyone down here and to the heavenly realms that it's real. Now you could say, well, <laughs> Nathan, doesn't the heavenly realms already know that it's real? Because they're, they're in the middle of it. Yeah. But Paul says that somehow the heavenly realms need to know that it's real. Why? Because they see it down there, lived out in our lives as the body of Christ, the church. And, and I don't want you to go crazy with this idea, but um, could it be, because we know that in chapter 6, this is where the spiritual battles are taking place. The angelic and the demonic, all, all this stuff is happening here in the heavenly realms. So, so is a part of this, could, could it be that it's like when, when the church of the, uh, let's say the modern church of today, when it just lives for itself and it doesn't live in light of faith and it doesn't live in trusting God and it lives in fear and, and trepidation and all that kind of stuff, does it actually strengthen the enemy forces of heaven or in, this, in the heavenly realms? That the demonic looks at this pathetic, hypocritical, duplicit church of our modern day and just goes, see, it's not real. They can't, they're not living it out. So does it like give them <clears throat> strength for the, for the spiritual battle? I, I there's no evidence biblically for that. It's just, it's just an interesting thought, isn't it? But Paul says, what if though the, the church lived in faith? What if the church lived in the fullness of what we're called to live in? What if the church lived in light of Jesus? And we actually were men and women who walked in bold confidence because of the life that we have, that we actually lived by faith, not by sight. What if we would actually live in the trust and the authority and the power of Almighty God? And if we lived this heavenly reality down here, wouldn't you think that would encourage the angelic forces to say, look, they're living it, they're living it, see it is real, I told you, I told you. And it like strengthens. Either way, do you realize that we as the body of Christ are called not just to declare good truths, we are, to, we are called to live, to experience these truths, this manifold wisdom of God. That we're not just to talk and say, hey, let me give you some facts and information about the wisdom of God. Let me tell you about God's love. Let me tell you, God, tell you all about his life and his attributes. See, we are to actually experience that reality. And there's a big difference between knowing about and experiencing. Could it be that in your life down here in the physical, visible realm, could it be that God wants to just bring his perspective into your life? See, see what if you could have God's perspective in your finances? What if, what if you could have God's perspective in your family? What if you could have his mind, his wisdom in your church. See, what, what if as you're looking at, okay, what is God calling me to and what is the purpose and the plan for, for my life according to God? See, what if you would see it from his perspective? Which, by the way, is going to be Jesus. See, see what if you would look at the, the flat tires of life from his eternal perspective? 
I've told this story before, but I had a good friend who, or I have a good friend who travels the country and he preaches. And one day he was, he was with his family in, in the motorhome and, and they were traveling, going to the next location to preach. And, and uh, the, their, their motorhome got a flat tire. And they're out on the side of the street. And he's just like, I, I don't know, what are we going to do? And we're miles away from, from the next town and we're just in the middle of nowhere. And how, how are we going to make this work? And, and so he's looking at the tire thing. And as he's trying to figure out the tire how are we going to get this up and fix it? And uh, inside the motorhome, he starts hearing screaming from, from his daughter. And his wife rushes out and says, Dear, uh, our daughter just got a piece of glass in her eye. And now he's deeply stricken. He's like, oh, he's like, God, I, God how, how could you let this happen? We have a flat tire. I can't just get to the nearest hospital. And, and here's my daughter, and she has this thing in her eye. And, but God, I trust you. And so you realize that from the physical, visible realm, see, that would cause worry, that would cause fear, that would cause trepidation, that would be hey, full of anxiety. And what are we going to do? And how, how, how are we going to pull this off? And how are we going to get to the hospital? And, and it's like this whole thing is just compounding. Now, it's interesting that there's this woman driving down the road on the other side, and, and she never stops for vehicles. But for whatever reason, she feels this tug on her heart, and she notices that there's this family and with a motorhome, so with a flat tire. So she pulls over and says, hey, uh, I, I noticed you guys have a flat tire. Is there, is there anything you guys need? And, and my, my friend says, look, ma'am, um, my, my daughter just got a piece of glass in her eye. She needs to go to the hospital. Is there any way you could get her in your vehicle and race her to the nearest town so she can? And, and the lady says, wait, wait, wait. I, I'm, I'm actually a nurse, and, and I can actually handle this right here. And she goes to the motorhome and deals with the glass thing. And See, wouldn't it be amazing if you realized that the flat tires of your life weren't just flat tires? That maybe God has a purpose and a plan in the middle of your flat tires? And maybe it's not as extreme as that, but see, if they didn't get the flat tire, they would have been stopped on the side of the road and the lady would not have stopped and it would have been a long time, like another hour or so or whatever it was, before them to get to the next town. And yet God had a provision in the flat tire to deal immediately with the glass in the eye thing. See, we can trust him, folks. We, hey, we can lean upon him. We can, we, can, we can rest secure. See, what if the next time you open up your bank account and, and you look online to see how much money you have or don't have in there, <laughs> and you go, oh no, what am I going to do? See, what, what if you could see it from his perspective? And, and what if you could see your finances from his lens? And, and God, I trust you. And, and I, I, even if I don't have much, Lord, I just, I'm throwing myself upon you to, and just ask for your provision because I know that, hey, that you provide. See, see, what if you could look at your family situations, not from down here? What if you could see your family situations from his perspective? See, what if you could see the world from his perspective? What if that neighbor that drives you crazy, you could see from, from his perspective that, that he desires that person to know Jesus and he wants to reach them and, and maybe he wants to use you as the mouthpiece? See, we live in this world today that's full of darkness and full of problems and full of issues and full of headaches and full of chaos and a lot of governmental stuff and economic stuff and COVID stuff and you know, all this stuff down here. What if, what if you didn't see it from, the, from down here? What, what if you didn't see the entire army, Syrian army surrounding you? What if you would allow God to give you his perspective with the horses and chariots of fire roundabout? And what if you could allow this reality, this life of Jesus, to be the very center of your being 
in every situation of your life. And what, what if this wasn't about the finances down here? What if this was about him and putting him in the middle of your finances and putting him in the middle of your family and him in the middle of your marriage and, and him in the middle of your church and him in the middle of your sickness and him in the middle of your job? See, what if he was at the very center of all things? What if he really was the essence of the unfathomable riches? What if he really was the fullness of the mysterious plan for all time? And what if you would live in that reality? And what if you took God's manifold wisdom and not just knew about it and declared it, what if you lived it and experienced it? And you begin to take that reality up here and live it down here. Paul says, do you know what begins to happen? Your life becomes a declaration, not only to those down here, but also to the spiritual realms that Jesus is still upon the throne, that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that there is still hope, that you can walk in freedom and triumph as more than a conqueror in him, that, that you can live in peace. Why? Because he's real, folks. And we as the body of Christ need to live as if Jesus is real. And we need to actually walk by faith. We actually need to live in trust. And as times get dark, and if, and if they get darker and more crazy, and if they begin to persecute the church, and they start to martyr us, praise the Lord. Why? Because he's still upon the throne. And we can trust him. See, there's no reason to fear if he's sitting upon the throne. Hey, there's no reason to live in anxiety if he's on the throne. Hey, if he's smack dab in the middle of all things, you realize if he is a God who is faithful, if he's a God who's still Jehovah Jireh that he provides, hey, if he's still God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, if he is still on the throne, you realize we can trust him. And we shouldn't just merely trust him with our lips. We need to trust him with our lives. Would you, would you let his life, his reality, his perspective become yours? in the everyday living of life. Jesus, oh Lord, I don't want to just talk about your word. I want to experience it. Lord, I don't want to just talk about lives of grand faith. I want to live it. Lord, I don't want to talk about trusting you, but then run off to, run off to the corner and, and, and worry and, and fret and forebode and unsure of, of how we're going to make it through. Lord, I, I don't want to look at my finances and go, oh no! Lord, Lord, I don't want to look at the church of the modern day and just be, be critical and be concerned. Lord, I want to live by faith. I want to live in trust of you. And Lord, if it is true that you are the the fullness of the unfathomable riches, if, if you are the fulfillment of this mysterious plan for all times, if you are still Lord of Lords and King of Kings, then we can trust you. We can put our hope and our faith fully in you. And regardless how bleak, regardless of the situation, regardless of how hopeless and impossible it may seem in the physical, visible world, Lord, there's always hope if I would have your perspective. That as Psalm 2 says, that you look at what your enemies are doing to set themselves against you and you merely laugh. <laughs> that you're not intimidated. Lord, what would, what would happen if I lived that way? 
What if I was like Elisha surrounded by an entire Syrian army who didn't worry, who didn't fret, but just trusted? Lord, could I be like this little boy who, who looked at this giant who was mocking the living God and be willing in his culture to stand up for what is right, trusting in you? Lord, Lord could I be like Elijah who, who, though being pushed on by, by an entire culture who seems that have just embraced the darkness and that all the religious activities of Israel have just have been thrown to the wayside and now all, all, they're all, they're only his paganism in the land. Or could it be that even in the middle of that kind of a scenario, could we walk by faith? Or like Mueller, like Hudson Taylor, like Amy Carmichael, like C.T. Studd, like William Booth, like these great people of old, like a Jonathan Edwards, like a Leonard Ravenhill, like these men and women of ages past, could we just not merely talk about faith? Could we not merely talk about the fact that you are trustworthy? Could we actually live lives that prove it out? That it goes far beyond just knowing that you are trustworthy, that we experience it. Lord, more than just knowing that you are faithful, we begin to experience it. Lord, we are, we are declarers. We are announcers. We are vessels to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God, not merely to the heavenly realms, but even to our dark and sinful world around us. And Lord, the only way we're ever going to be able to communicate that is not merely by talking about it and then living in an entirely different way. Lord, the only way that's ever going to be fully proclaimed is when our lips and our lives are congruent and when the world looks at our lives, they are dumbfounded because they see you in us. Lord, I need your perspective. Lord, I want to walk by faith. I want to throw myself in full trust upon you. And Lord, the, the great heroic stories told throughout the ages, Lord, could, could you begin to do that once again in the modern church? Not, not for the applause not for the accolades, not, not so that people can even be known, but so that you would be lifted high. So that once again, the world would just be, would behold and be dumbfounded by the reality that you, oh God, are still sitting upon the throne and that you are worthy, that you are faithful, that you are still trustworthy, that there is still hope, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We can walk by peace we can live in purity and freedom. But there's always hope because you are on the throne. Or would, would you allow that reality of you, the reality of Jesus, to be demonstrated in and through our lives every moment of every single day, even in the impossibilities? in the practical day-by-day, moment-by-moment living. Lord, we want to be Christians, not in name only, but in life. Oh. So Lord, would you do that? Oh, would you bring us to a place where we experience the manifold wisdom of God the life of Jesus truly becomes the essence of 
of our lives. And that your church and this generation once again would be known and defined not by denominationalism, not by bickering, not by hypocrisy, but that we, the body of Christ, the singular body of Christ, and all of its diverse locations and expressions would be known for one thing, Jesus. And Lord, may that be such a loud declaration to the world and to the heavenly realms. We love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise and the glory. Mm, We love you. In your precious name we pray. Oh, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.